We are the Chimbanda family. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 2. Verse 8, letter A, then uh, verse 9 to 11. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in the territory of Judea, during the rule of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. They asked, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east, and we have come to honor him. He sent them to Bethlehem, saying, go and search carefully for the child. When they heard the king, they went, and the look, the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with the joy. They entered the house and saw the child with Mary's mother. Falling to their knees, they honored him. Then they opened the treasure chest and presented him with the gifts of gold, frankincense, and a mirror. We are thankful for the gift of scripture. Amen. Good morning. Welcome again to Noblesville First. I'm Matt Hantelman, one of the pastors here at Noblesville First, and I'm glad you're joining us for worship this morning. Today, the church celebrates Epiphany, which is a holiday in the Western church that celebrates the coming of the Magi to a young Jesus and represents the coming of Christ to the Gentiles. Epiphany has evolved some since its first inception, so I'd like to offer this morning a brief history of the festival and what it means for us today. The earliest celebrations of Epiphany occurred in what is now the Eastern Church. The word Epiphany in Greek means to appear or manifestation, and it's actually used in the New Testament to describe the action of Jesus coming as a baby or Jesus' second coming, Jesus coming to earth. The Eastern Church celebrated Epiphany with a festival around three manifestations of Jesus, him coming as a baby, his baptism and receiving the Spirit in the Jordan, and his first miracle at the wedding at Cana. These three events for the church represented Jesus being both fully human and fully God, and that is still what is celebrated today in what is known as the Eastern Church. Around the 4th century, the Eastern and Western churches combined their festivals, the Eastern's Epiphany and the Western's Christmas, which celebrated the birth of Jesus, and they combined them into a single, longer festival. With the Western church celebrating Christ's birth on the 25th of December, and the Eastern church celebrating Epiphany on January 6th, the 12 days in between became known as Christmastide, or what today we call the 12 days of Christmas. The span in the Western church continues today. We are currently in Christmastide. We're on that breaking point, and Epiphany is beginning. Side note, some sticklers will tell you that now the 12 days is actually the time for Christmas music, and anything before Christmas should be strictly Advent music. I think you can listen to whatever music you'd like that celebrates the birth of Jesus. 
with the merging of the Eastern and Western tradition, the Western church also added a fourth manifestation that was to be celebrated, which is the manifestation of Christ's opening his ministry to the Gentiles, which they represent by the visit of the Magi to present gifts to Jesus as a child. This represented non-Jewish people coming and being accepted by Jesus. Here in the West, that is the tradition that has stuck around, and we celebrate Epiphany as a remembrance of when the Magi visited, which is why it's sometimes also called Three Kings Day. We will remain in this time of Epiphany until Lent begins in February on Ash Wednesday. The United Methodist Church does maintain some of the Eastern tradition, with next Sunday being the celebration of the baptism of Christ. So what does that mean for us? How are we to celebrate the coming of the Magi to Christ with gifts? If we are staying true to the manifestation of Christ celebrated by the coming of the Magi, then we should take today to remember that Christ truly did come for all people. There are no restrictions on who may come to the Savior and his saving power and forgiveness are extended to absolutely everyone. I believe as we leave behind a year that was full of division and strife, whether political or racial or familial or whatever, it is a needed reminder to all of us that Jesus lived, died, and rose again for all and even for people we consider to be our enemies. The message of Jesus is one of love for everyone and a challenge that reminds us it is easy and expected to love those who love us, but the harder Christ-like way to live is to pour out incredible love even on our enemies. Consider these words from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it said you must Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who harass you so that you will be acting as children of your Father who is in heaven. He makes the sun rise on both the evil and the good and sends rain on both the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love only those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, just as your heavenly Father is complete in showing love to everyone, so you also must be complete. During this Epiphany season, I invite all of us to spend some time remembering the incredible wall-shattering love of Jesus. As we celebrate that the love of Christ is here for all, manifested in a small child that grew to show us the way to love everyone, even unto death. May we grow in our ability to live in that love. And may we consistently Ask God to help us manifest that love 
in every interaction we have this year. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Matt, for capturing the essence of Epiphany. So how many of you out there are stargazers? If you are, use the comment section and, and announce that. And how many of you got to see that convergence of Jupiter and Saturn on December 21st of this year? That is an occurrence that hasn't happened for nearly four centuries. And there are many that are kind of comparing that to the bright star of wonder that we're talking about today as we talk about the wise men who followed that star to find the Christ child. Heather Hahn of the United Methodist News Service shares a story in which she shares that planetary conjunction, comparing it to the Christmas star. Astronomers have long floated the idea of a planetary conjunction or some other natural event as the possible explanation for the star that guided the Magi. And Nick Strobel is, a, is one of those among them. He is the physical science professor and director of the planetarium at Bakersfield College in Central California. As an astronomer and a lifelong United Methodist, he has a certain affinity with the Magi that we're talking about today. He, he shares this statement. We both have a love of the night sky, and we search for a place or person where heaven and earth meet, and we both found that in the person of Jesus. Strubble says the last time Jupiter and Saturn came together like this was in July of 1623. That'd be about the time the pilgrims were settling in New England. Our scripture from the book of Matthew does not share how many magi there were and does not call them kings. That's something that came along later. It's not actually in the Bible, but became part of the tradition but one thing we do know for sure is that the Magi found the newborn king by following a star. The ancients believed that God would make destiny manifest in the star, so it's not a surprise that Jesus' birth was accompanied by the appearance of his star in the very fabric of the heavens. It's been a great source of speculation as to the exact nature of what the Magi saw on that first Christmas. Strubble's got his own theories. He starts using the guesswork that we have for about when Jesus was born, and most biblical scholars aim that somewhere between the year 7 and 4 B.C. Strubble thinks a planetary conjunction is the most likely prospect for the Nativity star, and he does know that in late May, late September, in early December of 7 B.C., Jupiter and Saturn moved past each other three times. Such an occurrence happens only once every 900 years. The following February, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn, all three, formed a near conjunction which happens once every 800 years. So the combination of Jupiter and Saturn would also have been pretty interesting theologically because astrologers in the Near East believe that Jupiter symbolized royalty and Saturn would represent the deity that overlooked and protected Israel. In addition, ancient astrologers associated the constellation Pisces, where these conjunctions occurred, with the Jewish people. One more possible explanation for the star Bethlehem occurred in 5 BC, because that year Jupiter, instead of wandering eastward as planets tend to do, 
seem to stop and go backwards in what astronomers call a retrograde motion. In 5 BC, the Earth passed Jupiter, and it appeared to be stationary for about a week, which would be perfect for hovering over a momentous birth. Now, I share all that just to let you know that our Christmas stories are not fairy tales. They're grounded in history, a history that declares that God has done something very special and come into earth in the person of Jesus, whom we now call the Christ. So what do we learn about our faith from these magi? I think we learn lots of things. If you read the Luke birth narratives, we hear that shepherds were invited to come and witness the birth of Christ, probably the first witnesses. Later, the magi would come along. So in Luke, we find poor shepherds, and in Matthew, we find financially secure, highly educated men from the east who have the resources to travel from the Fertile Crescent some 1,200 miles, a journey they would take 100 days via caravan, 100 days to come to that birth and 100 days to go home. It's a journey that would have come at no small personal cost. So if you put Matthew and Luke together, here's what we have. Jesus came for the rich and the poor, for the uneducated and those who spent their lives studying. He came for the Jews and also for the people of other faiths who are earnestly seeking the truth. These magi were the first of many Gentiles, non-Jews, who will kneel at the feet of Jesus to honor him. The Magi were most likely followers of the religion Zoroastrianism, a religion that is still present in modern-day Iran, about 30,000 followers in that country. So these Magi show us God's deep concern for people who were even of another faith. This story shows a... It just says so much about the wideness of God's mercy. The Zoroastrians may have shared many things in common with the Jews in their beliefs, but there are also many things that they were very different. Yet God in God's mercy saw the earnestness of their faith, beckoned them and blessed them, and then he used them to care for the infant Jesus as they brought their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. If only Christians would be as tolerant of other faith seekers whose beliefs don't match ours 100%. Matthew clearly has included the birth narrative of the Magi to declare that Jesus is born for all persons on the earth. The good news of Jesus Christ is intended for all nations and all peoples on earth. And here's the last thing we learn from the Magi. I mean, they should inspire us. When you think about the mindset of those Magi, There is much for us to emulate. Here are men who already have everything they need on this earth. They have the resources, they have expensive gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. To be able to travel that journey says that they had plenty of financial gifts. And yet, their focus is on the heavens for answers to the problems that still plagued their time. They were looking for a Messiah, someone who would be the answer for the people of their day. And they studied the heavens so intently, they saw something that most that day never paid attention to. 
something so rare, they knew what they were witnessing was extraordinary, and they chose to pursue it with a passion that few others would. They've invested most of the year of their very short lives to find the person that star would point to. And their search was rewarded. But they didn't come empty-handed. They came and brought gifts fit for a king. And many scholars believe these very gifts provided the means for the Holy Family to flee Palestine, to go to Egypt until it was safe to return to Nazareth. So what do the Magi teach you about your faith journey? How much time do you spend in spiritual pursuits? I'm not talking about stargazing. But what about looking where your lives are heading? What in your lives are genuine spiritual pursuits? Are you using your financial privilege to bring gifts to our Lord that can alter the lives of people whom God loves? We're living in unprecedented times. This virus has turned our lives upside down. We're experiencing something so rare that it will forever change how we see the world and one another. So what lessons have we learned from this? I hope each of us ask every day, what does God want me to learn from the challenges that have been placed in our lives in this time? As we move into 2021 and look forward to our lives returning to normal, I pray that our goal will not be simply to go back to the way things were, but we'll work for a better world, a world more just, more caring, and more aware of what really matters. I hope you ask yourself, what gifts God is calling me to bring into this new year? The Magi brought gifts which declared Jesus as the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. What gifts will you bring And how far are you willing to go to bring those gifts into reality? Let's pray. Lord, bring your spirit into our lives. May we find that passion that the Magi had to pursue at great cost that promise, that hope, the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. May we pursue Jesus in our lives. May we work to emulate all that God has done, and to love others as you love them, all persons, without exception. This is our prayer, in the name of Christ, who is our Lord. Amen.